Hey, welcome to week number two uh, in our series that we're calling Skeptics Welcome. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in and joining us on our online campus. And uh, this series is a little bit different. If you were with us last week, you, you kind of picked up on that. A lot of history. It's, it's even more history and, and factual outside of the scripture than, than just looking at the Bible because you know, we, we really want to help people that have their doubts, that are a little bit skeptic. Uh, and, and so week two here, we're going to jump in in just a minute. But before we do that, uh, we want to remember we are winding up really 21 days of prayer and fasting with a special focus on Ukraine and the war that's going on there and so much uh, humanitarian uh, issues and suffering and death. And, and so before we go into the message today, I want to take another moment and just to lift up the situation there while we're in these 21 days of prayer and fasting with this special focus. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we, we come to you as your children. Lord, all that we see is so heartbreaking, so gut-wrenching. Father, we pray for an end of hostility, for an end of the war. God, that it would be quick, a ceasefire, that peace would come. God, we pray for government officials, Lord, that you'd give them wisdom in what needs to happen in order to bring about peace in this area of the world. Father, we pray that in the middle of all this darkness and death, Lord, that you would bring about your good, that people would turn to you, Lord, in the midst of this crisis and in this time of war. And, and Father, we just look to you as your children and we ask, Lord, for your intervention, your wisdom, and that there would be peace in Ukraine today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us, especially in these 21 days uh, of prayer and fasting. As we look to week number two in this series, uh, this is really based on the book Jesus Skeptic, and so many people have mentioned they picked this up. This is by John Dickerson. Ten years of, of research went into this book just really answering what really, has the Christian faith been good for humanity? And uh, I really want to also, big shout out to Liquid Church, Pastor Tim Lucas, that's made all the media for this series available to us. And, and that's really what we're asking. There's a lot of skeptics in our, in our community, in our country, in the world today, about, really skeptical about Christianity. Is it good or not? And so we are, uh, we are venturing to try to answer some of those questions like, do people who follow Jesus make this world a better place or a worse place? Based on analysis and facts, not based on feelings. What is the impact of Jesus' teaching on humanity? Not just is Christianity true, but has Christianity really been good for the last 2,000 years? Does it lead to progress and, and human flourishing, or does Christianity lead to bigotry and backwards thinking? That's what we're trying to do, answering some of these questions, not just from the Bible, because some people don't trust the Bible. We do, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we believe it's God's inerrant, authoritative word, but, but looking at the facts extra-biblical facts to prove if Christianity is good for humanity. Does it move people to self-protection and abuse of power, or does Christianity motivate people 
to a life of sacrificial giving and to people in need. And if you were with us last week, I want to go back to kind of that big screen picture that we have. And you see here, uh, this is kind of a gallery. We talked about hospitals last week. Today we want to talk about the end of slavery. slavery. This is just a sample of so many incredibly influential Christians all throughout the year. There wouldn't be a screen big enough uh, if we told all the stories of the facts, the, the primary evidence of all the good that Christianity has done. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus, justice, and racial equality, but I want to invite you back for next week as we continue this series. We talk about Jesus, faith, and science. Are those two things mutually exclusive or they actually beautifully complement one another? And so that's going to be next week. But we talked about last week as we kicked this message series off, uh, this fact, and that is wherever Christianity takes root, human flourishing follows, wherever it does. And that's why we even as a church family, the Valley family, uh, he's anointed us as his followers. God has anointed his followers to make a difference in the world, to make the world a better place. That's why, for instance, uh, that's why during the shutdown, that's why instead of just getting inward focused when there was the COVID coronavirus shutdown, we we looked outside. That's why we fed 11,000 meals to people in our community, because that's what Jesus would do. We're here for the good of our community. That's why we pray for the Ukraine and we fast for what's going on in Ukraine and just so proud of the fact that we've already given over $6,000 to Ukraine relief. You did that, Valley family, just your heart of wanting to make a difference. That's what followers of Christ have always done and that's what we must continue to do as his followers. And the big question when we talk about racial equality and justice is what motivated people to overthrow open legalized slavery you you know obviously probably one of the most well-known civil rights leaders uh, in modern time would be Martin Luther King Jr. and the reality is he wasn't just a civil rights leader long before that he was a pastor he was a minister of the gospel And much of what he said, his conviction for really leading the civil rights movement was founded and based all on Scripture. And although we may not be so aware of it, when you read his speeches, and many of them were not in civic areas, they were actually from the pulpit in the church that he pastored, uh, he quotes and talks about the role of God and his faith and faith in general in what was happening. Look at this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, suppose the teachings of Jesus should be accepted by competing nations of the world, particularly Russia and America. They would no longer compete to see which could make the bigger atom bombs or which could best perpetuate its imperialism, but which could better serve humanity. This would be a better world. How about that quote? Just really... (laughs) particularly important for the day and age in which we live. He was saying if we could just actually instead make that shift, the teachings of Jesus to be accepted. See, see, so many times we hear and we learn in our public school system, especially history that has Christ stripped out of it. And that's what this whole series is, is to remind us 
from this book that, that again, John Dickerson did a, such a fabulous job. We're just scratching the surface of the information here. The rich Christian heritage that has wave after wave after wave of righteousness and goodness and justice impacted humanity over the last 2,000 years. Sure, there's been some, some corrupt things. Sure, there's been some abuse. Just like every organization there has always been just like every religion there has always been corruption and abuse of power always everyone but no other faith no other religion even comes a close second to all the good that has happened as a result of Christianity and Jesus's followers like you and Jesus's followers like me the evidence the primary evidence outside of the Bible just like Martin Luther King Jr is overwhelming. Another incredible, powerful quote from Martin Luther King Jr., he put it this way, Jesus still cries out in words that echo across the centuries, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. This is what we must live by. We must meet hate with love. Remember, if I am stopped, this movement will not stop because God is with the movement. Go home with this glowing faith and this radiant assurance. In other words, Martin Luther King Jr. credited the entire civil rights movement to the cause of Jesus Christ. How about that? You probably didn't hear that in school, but those are his exact words, giving credit to Jesus Christ for the civil rights movement, to the Christian faith for the civil rights movement. He said it's not about him, but it's God that's doing it, Jesus Christ himself. And by the way, important to note, he spoke those words January, that quote, January of 1956, after a bomb was thrown into his house and exploded. That's the power of someone who walks with Christ. After, a, after his enemies tried to blow up his home with his family in it. Powerful words. And he points to not himself, not look what I've done. He points to Jesus Christ is the reason for this happening. The civil rights movement. Justice is Jesus Christ. The Christian faith. You know, a lot of people don't realize that slavery is not kind of like something that happened beginning in the 1600s. In fact, every single, uh, I guess you could put it this way, uh, major civilization tracing back thousands and thousands and thousands of years had slaves. Uh, look at just even at the time of Christ. In Jesus' day, slavery was a global norm in the Roman Empire. 40% of the world's population were slaves 2,000 years ago. 40%. And like I said, this is a global norm going all the way back to, to all the great uh, civilizations, the Roman Empire, China, Greece, India, Egypt, all the way back. We remember Joseph was sold into slavery. We talked about that in our series uh, about plot twists. Slavery's always been, in fact, even on the continent of North America, before Western uh, white folks discovered it, the indigenous people, the tribes, uh, Native American tribes, had slaves from other tribes. All throughout Central America, South America, slaves. 
And so we're taught so narrow just American history that we think slavery was just something that happened in America. It's been a global phenomenon for all time since the beginning of humanity, really thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And historians unanimously agree that slavery has been the horrific norm throughout all of human history. But then Jesus Christ, then the change happened, began to happen 2,000 years ago. It's very interesting to look at the life of Jesus, uh, the, the account in the Gospel of Luke. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a doctor, and, and, and he recounted the life of Jesus and has more detail, probably, I guess, as, as a doctor would be very detail-oriented, and he talks about a day that Jesus was in Nazareth uh, and he went to the synagogue there. And look at what it says in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus begins to describe what his ministry is going to look like and all of his followers. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 19, it says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. He, he's looking for something specific to read about himself, really. And he reads this. Listen to this in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for those prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now remember, as he spoke this, 40% of the population was enslaved, the population of the world. 40%, almost half of the population of the world was enslaved. And Jesus said, I've come to set them free. Not, not just spiritually, but literally, I've come, and my followers in turn will bring freedom to those who are oppressed, to set the captives free. Not only did he quote this from Isaiah, but just drop down a couple verses after this and look at what he adds to this in Luke chapter 4, verse 21. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, at this moment, he says, this scripture is being fulfilled. As he inaugurated this whole idea of his ministry that would have a ripple effect throughout all time, bringing freedom to those who were captive. You know, you've probably heard that passage, heard this, uh, you know, these verses from Jesus before, and, and sometimes they're used as a metaphor in a spiritual sense, obviously because of Jesus Christ, that he came to give us freedom from sin. He gave us, came to give us freedom from ad addiction and, and all kinds of things uh, that we experience in our life. Uh, and so it is spiritually healthy and bringing us freedom out of the bondage of sin and also about addiction, but it is literally also Followers of Christ took these words literally and made a difference when it came to racial equality throughout history. Took Jesus at his word. That, that Jesus is saying literally these scriptures are being fulfilled that day, 2,000 years ago. Fast forward about 1,830 years and, and here in the United States in the 1830s, uh, about one half of the country thinks that slavery is okay. 
And the other half says it's wrong, it's immoral. Where would they get an idea like that? From the Bible, from the teachings of Scripture, from these very words of Jesus and other words in Scripture as well. Like, for instance, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the abolitionist movement that really began in the United States and around the globe, all of the, the leaders of that abolitionist movement to abolish human slavery, to make it illegal, were Christians had faith in Jesus Christ, and we've got to do something about this. This is wrong. Jesus said all men are supposed to be free. That wasn't the Muslims. That wasn't the Hindus. That wasn't agnostics. That wasn't atheists. None of those people did anything about slavery. It was Christians and Christians alone. No other faith cared. No other faith did anything. But Christians stood up taking Jesus at his word. We must abolish slavery. Those are the facts of human history, undisputable, undeniable. You, you can have your own feelings about them, but you can't have your own facts. Those are the facts. And they went out and changed things. L look at this, for instance, this newspaper. This was one of the first abolitionist newspapers. Uh, this is the Liberator. And literally right here, look at what the, the, the logo, the seal of the Liberator was. Uh, first, it says, our country in the world, our countrymen are all mankind. And this is a picture, and this is Jesus with the cross behind him. And this man right here, this is a slave owner pictured here that is repenting of being a slave owner. And this is a, a slave at this point that is actually looking to Jesus for freedom as well. This is one of the first abolitionist newspapers rooted and grounded in Scripture. Undisputable fact that it was the Christian faith that was behind the abolishment of slavery. Now again, this is not the way it's gonna be taught in public schools because our school system is not ever, <laughs> it has been a long time since it has lifted up Jesus Christ and, and, and shown the reality. It's really anti-Christ, it's not for Christ, not pro-Christ. So we hear only the bad things about Christianity. And as I said, I'm not making excuses. They were deceived people in the South that thought it was okay and twisted God's word to say it was okay to have slavery. But that is not the clear teaching of Scripture at all. That's not the clear teachings of Jesus' words at all. What motivated men and women to produce the liberator? This, this, this quote from Jesus himself, Matthew 22, verse 39, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what Jesus said. King James Version, we shall love our neighbor like ourselves. You know, again, in Dickerson's book here, Jesus Skeptic, he talks about the whole idea, where would they get this idea? From actually reading the Bible. The, the whole idea of literacy, that once the, the Bible was able to be printed, mass produced, the idea of every single person should be able to read the Bible, everyone should be literate was so that people could read the Bible, and Christians went out to teach people how to read. Amazing, in the 1830s, the abolitionists, they were reading the Bible. Can you imagine? What a crazy idea that Christians actually read the Bible. I, I think we, we need to get back to actually reading God's word 
And if you don't, you know, maybe you don't read fast enough or you don't want to read. You know, now we have apps that will read it to us. All you got to do is listen to it. There's really no excuse to just read God's Word, to be rooted and grounded in God's Word. A a lot of the craziness that we see in the Christian church today is because people and even leaders don't actually know God's Word. They listen to what someone else tells them is in there, and it's not even in there. It's so important that we, like Martin Luther, here we stand, we can do nothing else. Reading God's Word. And it was abolitionists that read God's word, that understood God's word, that stood on Jesus's word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And went out and they proved it. Abolitionist movement would tied their work to the word of God. And I think any movement that is really going to make a change in humanity must be tied to the word of God. There's all kinds of movements. They, they don't end up, they end up fizzling out. They don't end up doing much. They, they end up doing a whole lot of destruction and, and death in their wake because they're not tied to the word of God. Let me me just speak to the millennials, those of you, the justice generation, be tied to the word of God. Cause is not enough. What does God say about it? It is written. It is written. One of the most powerful phrases that we can ever speak as Christians. It is written. This is what God's word says about it. The first time in history in the 1830s, really, and and a little bit previous to that, that people actually read the Bible for themselves and drew their conclusions about what was right and what was wrong, not from the nightly news, but from God's Word. What does God's Word actually say? Think about just like another example, the Quakers in the 1600s. They're they're a a denomination, really, a a Christian movement called the Quakers, uh, and they believed in universal freedom. In the 1600s, before the United States was even a nation, universal freedom for all people. In fact, they would actually, they actually made gold coins. They would melt down silver and gold, and this is actually a picture of one of those coins, and on one side is this quote, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. This is a quote from scripture. What, you know, do to others as you would have them do unto you, and then the other side of the coin is a slave right here, and it says, Every man and a brother. Every man is a brother. That was to understand where would they get an idea like this from? Again, rooted in Scripture. We call this the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Scripture, God's Word, because the Quakers were Christians. That they began this movement, Luke chapter 6, do to others as you would have them do to you. Those are Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible in the New Testament called Philemon. It's a very short book of the Bible, but, but it's actually about a slaveholder, and, and Paul writes to him, it's about a slaveholder who his, his slave escapes and then receives Christ as their Savior. And, and Paul is giving wisdom to the slave owner about how to respond to this change in the relationship. He was a slave owner, this was his slave, he ran off, escaped, and he received Christ. And look at what, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul advises in this short book of Philemon in verse 16. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. 
He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. They're no longer a slave. You receive him back as your brother in Jesus Christ, your equal. Your equal. Racial equality, right there in the pages of Scripture. Do you ever wonder why, by the way, Quakers, why they were called Quakers? Do you know where they got that, that, that name from? Because they would tremble and quake at the word of the Lord, at the word of God when it was being read. Would that as God's people, we would once again tremble and quake, that we would prioritize not a commentary, not another book, but God's word itself in our life every single day. Quake under the weight and the power of God's word, the scripture, the Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Another great abolitionist had a huge, huge impact was William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was, was not a Christian originally, and then he did have an experience where he repented of his sins and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And William Wilberforce actually put it this way, and I quote, you cannot call yourself a Christian unless you are reading the actual words of Jesus and doing what he said. Wow. What a statement there. He didn't say unless you attend church. He, he didn't say unless you have a, you know, a bumper sticker or a cross around your neck. He said you cannot call yourself a Christian unless you're actually reading the very words of Jesus and doing what it says. And you know what? William Wilberforce did exactly that. He wrote a book called Real Christianity and in 30 years it was so per it, it was so popular that made such a huge, huge impact. I mean, if it were today, it was like number one on Amazon, no doubt about it. It had such a powerful impact within 30 years of him writing the book, Real Christianity, about not just reading God's word, but living it, doing it. In 30 years, it swayed all of England to outlaw slavery and all the British territories as well, including India, which at that time had between eight and nine million slaves in the Hindu caste system. See, Hinduism didn't care about slavery at all. In fact, encouraged slavery, the Hindu faith. Those are the facts. Those are not debatable facts. Those are historical facts. Encouraged, perpetuated slavery. But God got a hold of William Wilberforce's heart. And he wrote truth and he spoke truth and it changed slavery. It was a Christian, his heart for Jesus Christ. You can't call yourself a Christian, he said, unless you're reading the very words of Jesus and living. And he did it, and look at what happened in 30 years. So much impact from one follower of Jesus Christ. Outlawed, open slavery not only in England, but the British territories as well. See, where committed Christians take root, human flourishing follows. And, and, and notice committed Christians, not half-hearted Christians, 
not Sunday morning only Christians, where committed Christians take root. Really, not only are we going to read God's word, we're going to live God's word. Human flourishing follows all around. This huge ripple effect that we see in reality throughout history. Back into the United States, check out this, uh, this graphic, the American Anti-Slavery Society in the 1830s. This is a picture of the original charter, and in this original charter, there are over seven different verses from the Bible that are cited in the original charter in the 1830s of the uh, American Anti-Slavery Society. Uh, what's really interesting, half of the signers of that charter of the anti, uh, American Anti-Slavery Society, half of them were clergy, half of them were reverends. When, when you look at the signatures, reverend so-and-so, reverend so-and-so, reverend so-and-so, it was a Christian movement. The abolitionist movement in the United States, the roots Christians that were fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. There were some that, that really weren't committed, and that's why they would twist Scripture and try to justify slavery in the South. But the abolitionist movement, it was Christians, the catalyst that started the abolitionist movement in the United States. And they understood not only Jesus' words, but all throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament, God's word. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, look at what the Bible says. Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. This is not a new idea, but it was Christians that took God's word seriously that really started the abolitionist movement in the United States. Over, as I said, over half the signers were actually clergy pastors. And, and let's just zoom in on that seal for just a minute. And let me explain this. It is pretty interesting. At the bottom, thou shalt tread upon lions and otter, the young lion and the dragon shall thou trample underfoot. That also is a scripture reference from the Bible, a quote. And what this is, what is this a picture of? You see, this is an abolitionist and they recognized that the fight for slavery was spiritual warfare. That's literally what was happening. And so this represents a beast here, the beast of slavery that is putting, that is being put down, wrestled to the ground, put underfoot, quoting from Scripture. They were serious about this. Why? Because they were fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. When you're fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ, you impact society. When you're half-hearted, all you're going to do is stir up trouble and put back the cause of Christ. And we've got too many weekend Christians blabbing their mouth about what needs to be happened when they're not fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. These folks were willing to die for, abol for the abolitionist movement. Why? Because it was rooted in Scripture. They weren't tweeting. They weren't protesting. They went out and made it happen because they were fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. One of the signers of, of that original document, the American Anti-Slavery Society, was Reverend Theodore Wright. Reverend Theodore Wright was, had been a black slave and, and he found freedom and he was taught to read and he read God's word and he began to be a pastor. He was a pastor and an abolitionist. one of the original signers of that document. And listen to this quote 
from Reverend Theodore Wright. And he says, Blessed be God for the principles of the gospel, the teachings of Jesus. Were it not for these and for the fact that a better day is dawning, I would not wish to live. Blessed be God for the anti-slavery movement. Blessed be God, there is a war waging with slavery. No other faith did anything about it. In fact, encouraged it, many of the faiths. But Reverend Theodore Wright, it is God, it is Jesus Christ that is at the root and the foundation of the abolitionist movement. Now, why is that not acknowledged in our nation today? Because we are not pro-Christ. We are anti-Christ. Our culture, our community, the systems of our nation today aren't about lifting up Jesus Christ. It's about discrediting Christ. But this is a direct quote attributed, Reverend Theodore Wright, the abolitionist movement is rooted because the teachings of Jesus Christ, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not, not, not any other leader of any religion, Jesus Christ gave him full credit. In fact, there was another abolitionist who, who's, uh, who, whose name was Elijah Lovejoy. And Elijah Lovejoy was also a pastor, but he also was an editor of a newspaper. And he also would begin to print about why slavery was wrong and the, through the understanding of the gospel and what it means to be a Christian. And so they burnt down, pro-slavery crowd burnt down his printing shop. You see a picture of that right there. They not only burnt it down once, but he rebuilt it. They burnt it down again a second time. He rebuilt it. He would not stop. He would not recant. And they burnt it down a third time. Finally, after he rebuilt it a third time, they simply took over the print shop and finally shot him five times with a shotgun in the chest and took his life. He literally gave his life for the cause of Christ and the abolitionist movement that was rooted in the pages of Scripture. Before he died, he was quoted, and he said this, I am governed by higher considerations than either the favor or the fear of man. I am impelled to the course I have taken because I fear God. Because of his Christian faith. That's why he could not stop. That's why he could not recant. That's why he would not Stop printing in the newspaper, communicating the, the need for the abolition, the abolishment of slavery. You know, also Underground Railroad, you probably are aware of that and heard about that. You know, the Underground Railroad, Christians, catalysts in the, in the Underground Railroad to help slaves escape from slavery in the South up to the North where they would find freedom and they understood, again, even the, the Underground Railroad rooted in Scripture, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, and verse 40. Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, bro these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You, you know, and great, tremendous historical figure when it comes to 
abolitionist movement and the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, she was such a fierce follower of Jesus Christ that she would actually stop in the woods and pray, asking Jesus to direct which way she should go while she was being chased by dogs and men on horseback. By the way, if you've never seen the movie Harriet, I highly, highly recommend it, not for children, but they actually even true to historical facts show her on the run, dogs, you can hear them in the background, and she stops and she says, Jesus, please direct me which way to go. And she stops until she hears from the Holy Spirit and then she goes in that direction and she's safe. Incredible, such an incredible fierce follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to this prayer that she wrote for her master. A prayer for her master. Oh dear Lord, change that man's heart and make him a Christian. I went to the horse, uh, horse trough to wash my face and took up the water in my hands and I said, oh Lord, wash me, make me clean. I can't pray no more for my poor old master. Her heart was breaking because she felt like she was so much pain, so much hurt. She was struggling to pray for her master, but she knew that was indeed what Jesus Christ wanted her to do, to pray for her enemies. Bless those who curse you. Jesus' words, pray for those who spitefully use you. And she found God's grace to continue to pray. Her nickname, what was her nickname? Moses. Moses, the one who led the great exodus of the children of Israel out of bondage of slavery in Egypt. That was her nickname. She lived 91 years. And her final words, history records, the final words of Harriet Tubman on her deathbed were this. Give my love to all the churches and the Underground Railroad. I go to prepare a place for you, and where I am, ye may be also direct quote from Jesus Christ, the words of scripture on her lips as she breathed her last breath. What an incredible, fierce follower of Jesus Christ. That's why she did what she did, because of her faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to it again. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. Jesus said, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The reality is in the last 200 years in, in the world where open slavery has been illegal, This 200-year time period is the exception in human history. It is not the norm. And it's because of Christians, committed Christians, that took a stand to see the abolishment of legal, open, legal slavery around the world. Freedom is an exception in human history. It is not the norm. It has not been until the last 200 years. This whole idea that everyone should be free. These Christ followers sacrificed their very lives for it. I want to go back to another quote by Martin Luther King Jr., which I think is so appropriate and so fitting. Martin Luther King Jr. said this way, if we are wrong, Jesus of Nazareth was merely a utopian dreamer that never came down to earth. If we are wrong, justice is a lie. Love has no meaning, and we are determined here in Montgomery to work 
and fight until justice runs down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Boy, he had a way of words, didn't he? Man, he was, a, he was a, just a smooth tongue, golden tongue preacher. But these weren't his words. These are the words of Scripture that he's quoting here. When he's advocating nonviolent approach as Christ was nonviolent. And he's quoting Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice roll on like river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. He's quoting from God's word once again because he was a committed Christian. Has Christianity been good for the world? Well, I just gave you an awful lot of evidence that really is not necessarily just take God's word for it in the Bible. It's the impact of God's word of faithful Christians that work for the abolishment of slavery and racial equality. But the reality is today, the facts are, there are actually, illegally, more people enslaved right now, it, right now in human history, than any other point in human history. And this is our job now, to work for the abolishment of illegal slavery that goes on, even today. And, and if you're wondering how you might could get involved, a great organization that, that we, we support it's called A21, and you can, you can go to the A21 site and find out how you can. Their mission is to end modern slavery. More people are enslaved today than any other time in human history. You know, the fact is, in India, slavery became illegal only in 1976. In India, through the caste system. Saudi Arabia, 1962. What's significant about both those nations? Neither one are Christian nations. Neither one. But it's Christians and the good fight of faith that Christians have entered into that were the catalyst for the whole entire understanding and concept of justice. It's rooted in the Bible. It's not amendment. It's rooted in the Bible from God and the fact of racial equality. I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for men and women that took your word seriously, not just to read your word constantly, but were committed to living out your word to bring justice and equality for all races to this world, to this planet in the last centuries, in the last two centuries. And God, may we be faithful in this generation that we live, Lord, to take a stand and to abolish illegal slavery around the world today, just like those who came before us. In Jesus' name, amen.